we'll find out. It is a good evening. It's a pleasure to be with you. Why don't we begin our time together this evening uh, in prayer before we come to Leviticus 8. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us all of your scriptures, every part of them, Old and New Testaments, in order to tell us things about your character and about what you are doing in this world. As we come to Leviticus 8 this evening, Lord, we want to ask that you would help us to understand what is going on. But more than that, we, we want to fix our eyes on Christ. Show us Christ in the pages of Leviticus 8 this evening, we pray. Soften our hearts and make us more into his image. In Jesus' name, amen. Bernard's Bees. In his retirement, my wife's granddad, Bernard, took up beekeeping as a hobby. And for friends, family, and those living in his village, he produced the most amazing, delicious, sweet honey. You know when you have a bite of a crunchy bar and your eyes are just open that bit wider, that doesn't even compare to a spoonful of this stuff. It, it was nuclear. But here's the thing about beekeeping. It is dangerous. In order for you and me to get a taste of that sweet, life-giving nectar, beekeepers have to be very careful. Uh, they have to follow a very particular set of instructions, wear some special clothing, show immense patience, and if they approach the task too lightly or too casually, as my, granddad, as my wife's granddad Bernard did on occasion, well then they set themselves up with the very real risk of getting hurt. That's something that even if you've seen the pictures, a wilderness expert like Bear Grylls could testify to from personal experience. And just as getting honey uh, brings with it the promise of both sweetness and danger, uh, so too as we come to Leviticus 8 this evening, we see the same is true of God's presence. Uh, this is what you've been seeing during this series in Leviticus, that God's presence was a wonderful privilege for the people of Israel. Uh, that the God who had rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt and declared them to be his special people he now wanted to dwell among them personally as the king in their midst, so that they might enjoy the sweetness and the blessing that his presence and rule brought. But as you've looked at Leviticus chapters 1 to 7 and seen the numerous sacrifices required for this to happen, you've also seen how difficult it is for a holy and perfect God to dwell among a sinful and rebellious people, uh, that his presence brings with it the promise of both sweetness and danger. But because his presence is so holy and so good, uh, it actually becomes dangerous when it comes into contact with sin. And so as we come to Leviticus chapter 8, we, we move away from a focus on the sacrifices required for God to dwell among his people uh, to focus on the people whose job it was to offer those sacrifices, the priests themselves. And as we look through this chapter, we will see that like beekeepers, the priests had to be careful 
uh, they had to follow a very particular set of instructions, wear some special clothes, and show immense patience as they approached the presence of a holy God. And that they had to do exactly as the Lord commanded. That's the phrase that you might have seen kept being repeated in our reading. As the Lord commanded. Because these instructions, well, they weren't just guidelines to prevent the priests from getting a nasty sting. These were instructions that were to be followed to the letter, exactly as the Lord commanded, or they risked death itself. And we see that at the end of our passage in verse 34 and 35. I just looked down at those verses with me. We read, what has been done today, everything in this chapter, what has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. You must stay at the entrance to the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires so you will not die. For that is what I have been commanded. Entering God's presence is dangerous. We can't just come before him however we'd like to. We can only come in the way that he has shown us, that he has revealed And the Bible says that for the people back then, and for you and me still today, the only way that we can come into God's presence is through a priest. And so as we read about what was required of the priests in ancient Israel, my prayer today is that it will give us a better picture of what Jesus has done for us. That as we see the instructions that the priests had to follow in order for God's people to enjoy the sweetness of relationship with him back then, it will help each of us here tonight, to praise Jesus, our true and greater high priest, who has made a way for us to enjoy this greatest reward of all, the sweetness and the joy of God's presence, the King in our midst. So let's look at the first of our priest's instructions. Point one, an extravagant beauty routine. I have to confess that before I got married, uh, around three and a half years ago, my personal hygiene was lacking. Uh, Also, I've been told, for many years I had been content, and I'm told this is wrong, to simply wash my face with water in the shower. Uh, And I thought moisturizer was an expensive scam. Uh, But then I married Ruth, and it was revealed to me that I needed a proper face wash to really clean the dirt and the bad moisture out of my skin before I then put the good moisture back in with this lovely expensive daily moisturizer. And if I'm honest, I have to say I've not really seen much of a difference, not much of a change as I've implemented this new beauty routine, and I'm still convinced moisturizer is a bit of a scam. But if my complaints over something as simple as that, as washing my face, if my complaints over that are that big, Can you imagine how the priests in our passage must have felt about their elaborate beauty routine? Uh, Just look down with me at verse 5 to 13 of chapter 8. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with a decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and thummim in the breastpiece. 
Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. He sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the basin with its stand to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then he brought Aaron's sons forward, put tunics on them, tied sashes around them and fastened caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. Some beauty routine. Uh, The priest had to be washed thoroughly, clothed in a very particular way, and then anointed with these sweet-smelling oils before they could even begin offering sacrifices on behalf of the people of God. I imagine, actually, that some of this might sound a lot like our morning routines. Shower, clothes, deodorants. Uh, But this was less like getting ready for a regular day at work or at school. This was more like an ambassador getting ready for a personal visit to the royal palace to meet with King Charles, where the dress code is very particular and the stakes are much higher. For the people in our passage, the stakes were high because as the priests entered the tent of their holy king, wearing the breastpiece that's covered in 12 precious jewels, they were bringing before God all the tribes of Israel, the entire nation. Their job was to represent this nation before God in the place where God's presence dwelt and to represent God to the people as well, teaching and modeling to the people what God is like. And so they had to follow these instructions exactly as the Lord commanded. Otherwise, entering God's presence, it'd no longer be something sweet that brought with it blessing. It would instead become dangerous to them and to the people that they were representing. And of course, as we were reading, it it wasn't that the washing with water made them truly clean in God's sight. It wasn't that the clothes somehow transformed them into a new person. As you've seen over the course of this series, Leviticus is a book full of symbols. And so both the washing and the clothing, they were ways of acknowledging before God that as priests, they weren't worthy of entering his presence. That despite their position, they were still contaminated from their own sin and from the sin around them. And so the washing, it acknowledged their need for grace, their need for cleansing from God's. Uh, The clothes show that they needed to be treated with grace because they knew they were ordinary people, created beings coming into the presence of royalty, the creator, and that entering God's presence was not something to approach lightly or casually. And though the priests and the people here were treated with amazing grace by God, The fact that they could even enter his presence was an amazing thing in and of itself. The reality that the Old Testament story shows us, if you read it, is that for a holy God to dwell among a sinful people, they were going to need even more grace than even this sacrificial system could ever provide. Because no matter how well the priests washed, no matter how well clothed they were, in reality... They were still unclean on the inside. 
And so by the very end of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, we read these words. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But here was the problem. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. In order for God to be able to show you and me more grace, in order for him to be able to dwell among us in all of his glory, he had to come and wash us himself. And that is what he's done as he sent Jesus to be our true and greater high priest. If you have put your trust in Jesus this evening, then you have the one person who can represent you before God perfectly. And without the need to have this whole routine of being cleansed himself. And we have the one person who has also come to refine and scrub us through his death on the cross. Jesus didn't need to follow a beauty routine. He didn't need L'Oreal men expert or put on a particular set of clothes or to be anointed with fragrant, sweet-smelling oils. Instead, he came so that his clothes might be stripped away as he hung naked on a cross, so that you and I might enjoy the sweetness of God's presence, free from any danger. And if that wasn't enough, to be able to approach the throne of God through Jesus, our great high priest, the even more amazing thing that we get, that we get to see in the New Testament is that if we are in Christ, then we have been transformed into a royal priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If you are a Christian here tonight, then you are also one of God's royal priests. And that means that not only can you come before God whenever you want, in any place, without fear. Not only can you enjoy the sweetness of relationship with him, free from any shame, but you have also been recruited as a priest to share the sweetness of knowing God, of enjoying God, as we saw in the catechism earlier. You've been recruited in order to share that with others. You've been called to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, to, to pass on what you have received like a relay race with those at school, in your place of work, in your family, so that others too may also come to Jesus and receive cleansing and forgiveness. Point one, an extravagant beauty routine. Point two, an extraordinary number of sacrifices. Sacrifices. Uh, the idea that something must die in order that we might go on living, uh, it is something that is ingrained in our very way of life as human beings. Uh, you've seen over the past few uh, weeks and before in your series that this was one of the purposes of the Levitical sacrificial system. It was a regular reminder to the people that the sacrifice they were presenting before God was a way of atoning for their sin 
so that they might continue to live and enjoy his presence. Put simply, the animal would die so that they might go on living. And though their world back then might seem miles away from ours today, the principle remains all around us. Something must die in order that you and I might go on living. As I drove up here this evening, I went past McDonald's, and I have to say, I'm a big fan. But when you go to McDonald's and you eat a burger, several things have had to die in order that you might go on living. At the cow that has been sacrificed to form the patty. At the lettuce that's life has been plucked up to form the salad. The tomato brutally crushed to form your sauce. Even the grains of wheat have had to be crushed in order to form the bread for your bun. Animals or plants, we live in a world where every single mealtime, every single time we eat, we are reminded of sacrifice. That something must die in order that we might go on living. And despite the fact that the priests in Leviticus 8 had gone through their elaborate beauty routine, and despite the fact that they may well have been physically clean, sacrifices were still required in order to make sure that they were spiritually clean before they could enter the presence of God and before they could even begin to think about offering sacrifices on behalf of the rest of the people. And if we glance through verse 14 to 29, we can see several of the sacrifices that had to be offered on their behalf uh, from the opening seven chapters of Leviticus listed here, a sacrifices that I know you were reminded of by Tiago last week. Uh, we see a bull presented for the sin offering in verse 14, a ram for the burnt offering in verse 18, both of which are offered to take away the sin of the priests and make them spiritually clean. Before then, another ram is sacrificed for an ordination offering, in verse 22, and then some bread and olive oil are given for a wave offering in verse 27 in order for the priests to be ready to perform their duty of offering sacrifices for the people. And if all of this sacrifice, if all of this death wasn't a messy enough reminder of the priests' own need for something to die that they might go on living and of the danger that they faced of going into God's presence, then just look with me at verse 22 to 24 and then verse 30. So verse 22. He then presented the other ram, the ram for the ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram, took some of its blood, and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Then he splashed blood against the sides of the altar. And then verse 30, Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and, on, and his garments and on his sons and their garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and their garments. Just imagine, after verse 1 to 13, you've just washed. You've just put on some lovely clothes. You've been anointed with these lovely, sweet-smelling oils. And then in verse 14 to 29, the next step is to be covered in the fresh blood of the animal that has just been slaughtered in front of you. What a disgusting but visual reminder 
to Aaron and the other priests that they could only enter into God's presence as they were covered by the blood of a sacrifice. That they could only enter into the presence of a holy God and live because the sacrifice they had offered had died in their place. And the same is true for you and me today. The only way that you and me can enter into the presence of a holy God and live is if we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb that has been spilled for us at the cross. It seems really counterproductive, doesn't it? That the way to be clean is to have a bath in blood. But that is the picture that we read of in the Scriptures. And that is what we see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, where we read this description of the people of God. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Whenever I read this verse, I can't help but think to myself, how can their robes have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. I don't know if laundry was done in the Bible, but blood is red. It it doesn't stain things white. It stains them red. But then I remember that Revelation, just like Leviticus, is full of symbolism and imagery. Symbolic imagery that points us to Jesus. Jesus who gave his life, who gave his blood so that you and me might be washed clean from all of our sin. That like a sacrifice, he died so that we might go on living in this life and on into eternity. And so tonight, if you feel distant from God, if you feel as though there are things from your past or things that you have done, even in this past week, that have left you feeling dirty and stained, things that you have done or things that have been done to you, then remember that the way we come to Christ is not based on our own merit or performance. We don't come before God on the basis of having kept ourselves clean. We don't come to him because we've always done as the Lord commanded. No, we come to him dirty and stained as we are. We come to him broken and battered as those who have not done what the Lord commanded. But if we come to him in humility, then he takes us and he gently washes us clean in the blood of the lamb so that we are no longer marked by any stain, wrinkle or blemish. He lifts us out of whatever mud and mess we have created for ourselves. He takes our sin onto himself and he gives us, lays out for us a beautiful, fresh pair of clean clothes to wear. This is the only way to be cleansed. It is the only way to be made right before God, being washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so if you have not put your trust in Jesus, if you are holding out for a different, easier, less messy or less offensive way to be made right with God, you're not going to find it. Because you and I are not just a little bit dirty. We're not good people who sometimes do bad things. No, our sin is so bad, the only way to solve it was that the Son of God would come and die in our place. But the cross also shows us that 
God's love for us is so great that he was willing to send Jesus, his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. If you can say that you have put your trust in Jesus, your faith in him, if you have accepted him as your true and better high priest, if you've come to God and asked him to look on Jesus' death so that you might live, then we, like those in Revelation 7, have this wonderful future to look forward to. A future where all of our stains are gone and we only wear white clothes with the king in our midst, with no fear of danger, only enjoying the sweetness of his presence. Look with me at Revelation 7, verse 15 to 17 as we close. All who have put their trust in Jesus, these verses are your future. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's close our time in prayer before we sing. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus for us. Thank you that in Leviticus you provided a way that your people could know you, that you could dwell among them, and that they need not fear. 